So, Lord God, we ask that you would open up this scripture to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives, that we would be a people who are not determined by our fears, but determined by the fact that we are your children. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you called us to belong to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So if I were to say Moses and the, how would you complete the phrase? Burning bush, right? Moses and the burning bush. That's our passage for today. Well, it's a very familiar and famous passage, and I can still remember um, years ago when I heard a preacher preach on this passage. My husband and I were visiting out of town, and there was a really large church with a pretty famous preacher, and we thought, ah, you know, well, let's go hear this preacher. And we arrived, and it t- came time for the sermon, and the pastor who stood up was not the famous guy. It was some associate pastor. And our hearts sank within us, as perhaps some of yours did when I stood up just now. (laughs) So this associate pastor went on to preach a sermon that was so significant that when I was going to preach on this passage now, my husband and I were both remembering how he talked about Moses' insecurities and how God equipped him to overcome his insecurities. And that preacher's name was Scott Dudley. We are so fortunate to have Scott most every week, but sometimes God shows up through an associate pastor as well. (laughs) So God calls Moses into his true identity. We think of Moses as this great leader and kind of, you know, in the history of humankind, here's one of the ones who made a difference. But in today's passage, he's just a guy who's sort of disappointed in his life, and God's going to do something different. So one day a few years ago, after school, my son was, I think he was maybe in about fifth or sixth grade, he and a few friends did a little backyard experiment. They thought of it as sort of reenacting a Bible passage. You and I would probably call it playing with fire. Instead of God's voice, they heard the voice of a grandma saying she was calling the fire department about that burning bush. That little fire kind of ruined our afternoon, and there were some consequences there. But this burning bush that we're looking at today, this one disrupts our whole life. It explodes our paradigms of God because Moses encounters God. When God appears in this way through a wild, uncontrollable power, there's a fancy word for it. It's called theophany. It's a manifestation of God. It happens in over 80 verses in the Bible, and a lot of them have to do with fire. There was a pot of fire and a flaming torch to seal a covenant. There's a pillar of fire to lead the Israelites. And perhaps most significantly for us, in Acts chapter 2, it says that 50 days after Easter, a fire came. Hear this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, all the followers and disciples of Jesus, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them, a little fire for every child of God. I heard New York City pastor Tim Keller say, Every believer, every Christian is a burning bush to the world. Wow. We're like little theophanies. 
In the burning bush, we have this theophany in two parts. There's a visible bush burning and yet not consumed, and then the audible voice of God. This is a turning point in the history of Israel, in the history of humanity. Things will never be the same for Moses, for the Hebrews, and for us. God acts at this intersection of heaven and earth, and mostly that happens through people. Scott Dudley has invited us to create a timeline of our lives, some of the high points and the low points, and I, Scott shared his, and I made a little one for Moses. And I've been really helped by this book that we got this idea about the uh, turning points from this book called Storyline. I heard about it through the young adult leadership team. They had done it and learned a lot from it. And so my small group took it up, and we got a glimpse as to how God redeems the turning points of our lives, things that we had kept hidden, even from this small group of friends, things like addiction and affairs, what it felt like to be raised by a parent who couldn't hold down a job, what it felt like to be passed over for a promotion, what it felt like to not be able to bear children. We got a glimpse that in some of these most negative turning points, God seemed especially present. So that workbook helped us to consider how the rough spots of our lives, heartaches and disappointments, shaped us and how God released us from the burdens of the past, just like he is going to do for Moses. This week, I heard the story of a young woman who was a runner in college, a cross-country runner, and she was thrilled after miles and miles and miles of practice and running to make it to compete at the national level. And somewhere between her junior and senior year, she was going to go in the summer and be part of this national team and kind of have this great opportunity. And she was getting ready. One of her final runs before she got on the plane, she was way out in the hills and she sprained her ankle. She had to hobble miles back. And when she got back, her coach said, that's it for you. You're, never gonna, you're not going to make this meet. You might as well not run anymore. Can you imagine how many miles she'd run to get to that place and to hear those words? Well, somehow, God sort of showed up. She knew that she had a buddy who was going to go to Africa on a mission trip this summer, and she thought, you know, maybe that's the alternate future God has in mind for me. So she joined up with this mission trip team, and when she got to Africa, she got exposed to the idea that there were people suffering from diseases which were preventable. She came back, and in her last year of college, she revised what she was studying, and she took on the, the challenge of really conquering disease. She went to work for the Center of Disease Control, and now is committed to eradicating diseases like malaria and polio from the world, all because of a sprained ankle. Sometimes God works in mysterious ways. Have you ever had that experience where you're driving along and you're using the GPS in your phone and you start to do something that it doesn't want you to do? Mine's a female voice, and sometimes she says, you know, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. Well, I don't want to make a U-turn. I want to go get on I-90 instead of 520. And have you found, as I have, that if you just keep going long enough and get yourself onto I-90, she gets the idea and she gives you an alternate route? Sometimes that's what God does. He takes maybe our mistakes, maybe the, the things that have happened to us that are beyond our control, and he kind of reroutes it to get us where he wants us to go. So Moses went through this 
a wild assortment of roles. He was rescued as a baby. He was persecuted, then put in a basket, rolling down, floating down a river. He's rescued. He's adopted. He's raised an, as an Egyptian prince. He's a brother, and then he becomes a murderer, an unexpected turn. And he flees to Midian, where he becomes a husband, a dad, a son-in-law, a shepherd. He fled there because he was disappointed in himself that he had lashed out and killed this Egyptian. Because of his resume, because of this defeat on his resume, Moses disqualified himself for God's service. Pastor Richard Dahlstrom says, the far side of failure is a tricky place. We make peace with what happened. We've moved on. But, but the problem for Moses is this is not the life for which God intends Moses, for Moses. He wasn't created for this. He was created for something more. Author David Brooks says that we get focused on our resume virtues, like the list of our accomplishments, and we miss what God is doing, what Brooks calls our eulogy virtues. Maybe we could think of these as our passions. We're no longer a slave to fear of making a name for ourselves. We're a child of God. We want to celebrate what God is going to do. So this week, our little exercise is to consider what roles do you have in life. Make a list of them. In the chapter on roles and storyline, Donald Miller asks us to pick out five roles, which is about how many folks can focus on. Otherwise, he says, our lives get too diffuse, and we are at risk of getting burned out. Well, you can see from my list of roles that I had a hard time picking five. He encourages us to even consolidate our roles. Like, I don't like to think of myself as a cancer survivor, but if I think of cancer survivor as kind of a role and a goal, then I can put under it all these really healthy habits, like eating well and exercising and having a garden and things like that. Maybe that's the case for you. You get kind of diffuse, and it's hard to see what God is doing, what God's priorities for you are. So God intervenes in Moses' life in order to remind Moses what his primary role is and get him to take his place in salvation history as a leader, as a liberator of God's people. Moses is called to be a catalyst of redemption. When we encounter God, he shapes us toward this purpose. And maybe our fears pop up like they did for Moses, he's a reluctant hero. He's not a leader who's climbing his way to the top. So let's take a look at this, the resistance within. Moses has led his flock through the desert to the mountain of God. Maybe he's even seeking God's presence. Yet this actual presence of God showing up in a fire is not expected. Moses has seen a lot of bushes in his life as a shepherd, but nothing like this. God calls his name, Moses, Moses. And Moses replies, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. I mean, how about if I said to everybody when you came into worship, hey, could you all just take your shoes off? Because this is a holy place. Like things are going to happen here that don't happen anywhere else. This is holy ground. So Moses gets afraid. He tries to hide his face, and he begins even to share his fears with God. The first of his two big questions, who am I 
that I should go to Pharaoh. And God says, here's this sign. It's a sign of hope. I will be with you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, like notice Moses hasn't even gone yet. And God says, after you've gone and gotten the, and brought them back, you will worship me right here on this mountain, in this holy place. And Moses is sort of anxious. He's, he's, he's saying, who am I? Basically, the answer is, you are the one who is sent by God. So then Moses says, well, then I need your name. I kind of need more data. What am I just going to go and say the God of Abraham and Isaac has sent me? And they're going to say, really? It's like he's saying, I need more authority. Who am I that I could go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The Lord God responds with, I am who I am has sent you. This is what you'll say to the Israelites. I am the creator of the universe the grand name above all names, the Alpha, the Omega. You want authority to send you somewhere? There's no one higher than this. When I'm watching TV and sometimes there's like a little tense moment and I'm thinking, uh-oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? They shouldn't be doing this. Do you ever find, have you seen this? Like they'll pull out a badge and be like, the FBI. And you think, okay, it's the FBI. You know, they have some authority to do what they're doing. So that's Moses. He is like the biggest badge of all time. I'm sent by God to say these things and do these things. It can be said that Jesus is the one who completes this burning bush moment. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. And then Jesus says to his followers, followers to you and to me, you are the light of the world. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus, and I give it to who? You and me. And then Jesus sends his followers and says, go make disciples. So Moses is listening. Okay, okay, I think I'm getting it. And now, God, I hear that I can claim your name. How about your power? Could I have some of that power to kind of back things up with action? Well, God provides it. This power is going to be unleashed through signs and wonders. Moses says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? It's, then God says, okay, you want to see power? What have you got in your hand? Moses says, a staff. God says, throw it down. He throws it down. It becomes a snake. Pick it up. He picks it up. It becomes a staff. That's a pretty cool trick, right? Next thing, God says, take your hand, stick it in your cloak. He sticks his hand in his cloak. Pull it out again. He pulls it out. It's leprous. It's all filled with leprosy. Put it back in your cloak, pull it out again, pulls it out again. It's healed. Wow. These are some pretty amazing powers that God's giving Moses to show if he needs them. These miracles are offered to Israel so that they will believe. Jesus also performed miracles, and he said to his followers, because you have seen these miracles and believe, blessed are you. But even more blessed are those who don't see the miracles and yet believe. So Moses is given this kind of power to enact God's power. And yet, he still, it's not enough. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. And I can't help it, but I think this is in a whiny voice. I've never been eloquent, and neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and tongue. Can you just picture God like, okay, already? 
It's like Moses is saying, I can't go out there alone. I need a teammate. Okay. Well, God says, I am the author of, this, of speech. Like, I gave you your tongue. I know everything about you, but if it's not enough for you, I'll give you a teammate. What about your older brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well, and he's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. So God understands Moses' weakness, but he doesn't allow this to stand in the way of Moses' calling. He sends Aaron, that older brother, to be with him as a spokesman. As my sister would probably say, older siblings have way too much to say anyway. Why not put him to use? (laughs) So God gives Moses everything he needs, and I believe God gives us everything we need. And he wants us to encounter his holy presence every day. We're called to stand on the holy ground of creation. And yet we try to make a little fire for ourselves. God's more interested in our character than our comfort. Moses thought his leadership career was over. But God appears to him, gives him everything he needs, and sort of sends him back into the game. Go back to Egypt. Free your people. Bring them back here to worship me. Christianity is a grassroots movement. Everyone is called to participate. It may seem to you like a leap from Moses to you or me, but we, are this, we have the same kind of call to ex- encounter God, to experience kind of God's vision for our lives and to say yes to it. We may think that our past disqualifies us or that we are too old or that we made too much poor choices, or that we missed out on life's best for us, or maybe that we're too young. But God calls us to be part of his transformation of the world right now. Here's an idea for you. God just might use you as he used Moses, wherever you are in life. Maybe the two old ideas, you're thinking, yeah, Kendi, like, I'm pushing 60. Well, you know what? Moses was, like, in the third third of his life. There's this really good book that I'd like to recommend. What's God going to do in that third third? Walter Wright says, whenever we stand at the threshold of a new adventure, whenever we are about to walk a path into unfamiliar terrain, we face risk. Maybe it's the risk of retirement. The risk offers fear and hope. The fear can debilitate us. It can tempt us to cling to the familiar like Moses was tempted. But in the end, it's important to remember that we cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. God wants to move us into a future, and he shows us a way to address our fears, to know that God is present for us. God is real. The name above every name is for us. If God is for us, who could be against us? To overcome that resistance within, don't tell God who we are. Let God tell us who we are, what his plans for us are. Encountering the presence of God gives us this alternative future. We are created to be little theophanies, little flames of the Spirit wherever we are. God acts at the intersection of heaven and earth, and that's mostly through people like you and me. Please pray with me.
Mighty God, we thank you that you are so generous, that whatever our little whiny voice says of why you might not pick us, Lord, to do something important for your kingdom, we know that you speak into that voice, and you say, no, my friend, you are a child of God. You are redeemed. You are given the power and the authority of Jesus. So, Lord God, whatever it is today that causes us to think that we've disappointed you or we, we couldn't say or do or be the person that you want us to be, Lord, we, for, we ask your forgiveness of that and we claim your power. So come, Holy Spirit, do in us and through us the will of the God of the universe, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.